the menu of the day, Chef Bites at the Kiss Cafe. Kiss 92. That's right, it is Chef Bites with me, Charmaine Poir on Kiss 92. And I'm very delighted to have with me today's special guest, Chef Zahid of Global Matso Kitchen. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much, Charmaine. Thank you for having me here. Of course. Uh, we've been trying to set this up for quite a while, I think. We have. And <laughs> finally, you know, the stars align, you know, circumstances uh, bode well. And here we are today. I want to find out, you know, you've done a lot of things with cooking. And I want to find out how you even got the start. How did you even step into the kitchen and get started with cooking? What motivated you? Hmm. As far as motivation is concerned, let's not get into motivation first. Let's go into origins, like why cooking happened in the first place. If you were a boy and you were growing up in a Malay household, right, chances are you were you were not exempt from kitchen duties. Mm. You would have to wash the rice, get some prep done. It is not merely a female domain. Mm. The females in the, in the family, the grandmothers, the mothers, the aunties, right? They will oversee us. We were serfs doing the prep work. And it <laughs> serfs, was, I love that word. I know, right? Serf, <laughs> like, not a word you come across every day. <laughs> but we will be happily chopping away because that constitutes as uh, together time with your cousins, with your siblings, right? Even if you begrudged it at first, it was something that grew on to, it's like, ah, okay, chopping onions. I'm good at chopping onions. I'm good for something, right? You contributed to the meal. You contributed to the process. You felt useful. You felt an important cog in the wheel. Mm. You were a significant uh, component of the gestalt. Yeah, so that's how cooking started. And that's how you earned a place at the table as well to enjoy the food. Of course. I mean, <laughs> as part of the family, you will be given food. But to earn it, man, that's, that's another feeling. That's, that's a good feeling. But I didn't take too well to it until when I was studying overseas, right? Mm. And I think uh, necessity birthed action. Right. Where uh, I was in Melbourne for a number of years uh, studying in RMIT. Asian food there, Malay food, Muslim food there is expensive. And as far as retail hours are concerned, you're talking about 5, 6 o'clock and the shops will be shut. From Singapore, we have a supper, late dinner <laughs> culture, right? We will be like 9.30. Oh, we are, right now we are Spanish. We have our dinner at 9.30, at 10 or 11 and supper at 2 or 3 in the morning. Suddenly we are Spanish. And that's great. But you go to a country like Australia back then, right? And it was so hard to find food. So what do you do? You buy the ingredients, you go to the Asian supermarkets, right? They have plenty over there. You got down to work. And suddenly, for some reason, right, my apartment became the de facto canteen for the Singaporean students and the rest of the students from the Asian region who happened to hang out like, hey, Zayed, during the intercom and go like, hey, Zayed was cooking. Say, uh, today, uh, nasi lemak, a bit of rendang, some sambal. Wow. Come up. I said, get some ice, get some drinks. Okay, don't come up empty-handed. <laughs> so, so it was a good thing. Uh. So that became communal, uh. That's when you realise the power of food, uh, as cliched as it might sound, it does bring people together. People from different walks of life, different backgrounds, and they're united in one thing, to consume, to devour. And there's nothing more pure than that. Just the act of sitting together at the table and communally enjoying something that was made by someone. Or if it's a potluck, everybody brings something, we all enjoy it. I think that's how man or humanity was designed to uh, 
exist in the first place. Huh? So we're just, I think we're just uh, going along with the plan. Mm. Mm. So you started in your own home kitchen, helping out. Then after that, when you travelled overseas, you started cooking your own stuff. That's but right. how did you end up doing the viral Instagram Briani gig? A sad story in Melbourne. One rainy, very rainy afternoon, right? And it was a bad day in university, in class, in in, in lectures, right? So there was a particular restaurant near where I lived that sold biryani. And it was decent. It was really good biryani. I came, I enjoyed it, you know. So after that particularly bad day in class, I went at about two in the afternoon and they said, come back at six. We finished biryani for the day because it was a pretty good lunch crowd. Right. Okay. Come back at six. We'll have a fresh batch waiting for you. Okay. So here I am thinking, you know, I will go away right now, right? This is delayed gratification. Mm. I will go away. I will come back and there will be a fresh batch of food waiting for me. I mean, not just for me, but for everybody else to enjoy. Now, I went at 6.15 and... <gasps> sold out again! Not sold out. This was what they said. Ah, uh, no lie. It's not worth it, get this, to cook a fresh batch. But you promised. Yeah. If you didn't manage my expectations. If you had told me that we are done for the day, come back tomorrow, that's fine. I would have gladly come back tomorrow. But no, you got me to come back at 6. Mm. And then you spun a different story. And that's when I decided that never again will I be at the mercy of anyone else to give me what I want. If I cannot cook it with my own hands, I will not have it. Mm. And that will be entirely my fault. And if I can do it, then it's to my benefit and so, the benefit of others as well. So that's when you started cooking biryani. And then exactly. how I've, did it get into the whole Instagram and people, you know, struggling? And now they're the ones coming to you and like, hey, do you have? And you're like, no, I'm sold out. Ah. <laughs> uh, I think it teaches humility. Even if it's sold out, you have to be very nice about it. Say, I'm really sorry it's sold out. You know, like, mm. come back. Or I'll give them an option. Say, I'm having something else within the week. You know, uh, we'll speak again. I promise. Okay. And it's a promise I try to keep. But as far as how this whole Briani, this whole Instagram thing started. So I started cooking for friends first. For fun. I'm thinking like, yeah, I had a job back then. I was working as a bartender, as a mixologist, my mm-hmm. God. So I was one of those fancy mixologist cocktail persons. So I did biryani at home just to humor myself, just to tell myself that this hand still could cook. Mm. So you made extra, you give away to friends, you give away to colleagues. That became the staff meal for like, hey, Zach's cooking biryani. Mm. Or back then it was called Zach. Zach's cooking biryani. Oh, goodness me. Oh, all right. Friends gave their parents, gave it to their parents, shared it with their parents. And their parents went like, who is this? Where do you buy this from? How can I get more? Yeah, and apparently to their parents, right, it was, it kind of like evoked a memory, a long lost memory, because according to almost all of them, it was a taste of the past. It was something that you cannot get anymore, which is kind of strange because I would like to think I'm young, girl, <laughs> right? And I belong to this a kind of a modern generation where, and I didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, this recipe was, I kind of tweaked it from a dish that I had in Dubai. Right, came back. Okay, we will try to do this. We'll, we'll try to make this work. And they all said that this is a taste of the past. Where can we get more? Mm. So, you know what? I, I say, I'm going to post it on Instagram. I'm going to make like X amount, small amount, right? If it sells out, if it does, if it, you know, you have, a, you have a deadline by Tuesday or by Thursday, right? And if that's all I have, that's all I have. That's what I'm going to cook and that's, that's it. And then suddenly, what got around? Vice magazine, Vice from the, the States, right? The website in the online magazine. They got wind of it. And they asked if they could come down and speak to me. Um, some of the magazine, I think Salt Magazine did a piece. So it kind of snowballed from there. 
in a very strange way. And I still think about those early days, right? And I think how surreal they are <laughs> because that was almost never meant to happen. I just wanted to cook for a certain crowd, a certain audience, most of them underground musicians, friends of mine. And somehow it, it got to the mainstream and... Here we are today, a good nine, ten years later, because I think I started in 2013, 2014, up to now. Still doing it twice, three times a week, whenever I can. <laughs> it's like this. And this is the part where it gets a little bit, it may sound a bit cringy, but this is the spiritual aspect of food and cooking. If I ask for a way to live, a good way to live my life, right, from my creator, and he has gifted to me the ability to cook, if I were to not do it, then I will be acting in extreme blasphemy. You ask for something, I give it to you, you don't want to use it. What is wrong with you? I don't want to waste this gift. So I need to serve as many people as I can before I can't. Mm. Let's face it, at any point in time, this could all end. I could go, right? Or anyone could want to have a taste and not be able to have a taste because they weren't in time and they had to go. I know it sounds morbid, uh, but that's the reality of life. No, it's the circle of life. So now it's like a mad rush for me to like, let's do as much as we can without losing my sanity, without losing my principles, without compromising on the quality. Let's just do as many as we can, get it out to as many people as I can so that nobody can ever say that, you know what, I missed out. So that's just it. We go on, we, we move forward. Although, okay, <laughs> the irony is that why is it a private Instagram I think. <laughs> yes. Why is it private? It, it didn't used to be private. It didn't used to be and private. And then you decided to make it private. Because if anyone who's, who's followed or are following the Instagram will know that the way that I speak is somewhat akin to the way that I write. Mm. And the way, and, and vice versa, of course. And the content and the subjects that I write are colourful, to mm. say the least. And <laughs> the language is a bit colourful. And there's a lot of uh, allegorical use of uh, language, references to many things that are not mainstream, references to esoteric arts, references to underground music, references to obscure films, which at some point in time when the Instagram was a public one, right? It ruffled some feathers. Some people like, I'm not comfortable with this, mm. right? My response to it was like, well, if you're not comfortable with it, right, you don't have to be here. No one's, no one's put a knife to your throat and said that you have to be here or that if you come or if you're in, you cannot leave. Right. So what I'm doing is like I'm making it private. So if you go in, if your request is accepted, then you know what you're getting into. And if you go, you know, read the past posts, read the archives and it's not to your liking, then feel free to leave, to unfollow. Mm. But get this, if you unfollow... You will not be allowed back in. Exactly. What are, what are the chances that I, you know, you, you will be allowed in? You know, Basically, I'm throwing the ball back in their court. It's free will, right? Mm. Do it. Think for yourself. Think what's best for you. Think what works best for you. And then we can come meet in the middle. Yeah, and it's all about you staying true to yourself as well. You don't want to, mm. you know, veer too far away from what you truly believe in. That's why you share all these things on your Instagram too. Mm -hmm. But talking about that, I think that you are so multifaceted. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you in. You have many interesting hobbies and one of it is lion dance. How did you even get started on that? The neighbourhood I live in is Aljunit Crescent. Aljunit Crescent, for those who do not know, is located uh, somewhere just off Pai Lebar in Kalang. Mm. In, a, in a very strange spot where it is by itself. It used to be 
placed with a very bad narcotics and gangland problem. Oh, okay. That, 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 I didn't know. That's the truth about it, right? In the 70s and 80s, right, um, parents will not allow their children to be out at night or to play because there is always an element of crime involved. Right. I remember distinctively, right, same void deck we were played football in the last year of school. In the same void deck, three hours later, somebody got arrested for drugs. It's that, kind, it's that kind of neighbourhood. Okay. But at the same time, it was also one that was, I think, multiracial in the best sense of the word because you had your Malay weddings, okay? A lot of Malay weddings back then. Very noisy, very colourful Malay weddings. Then you had the temples that were in the homes, Right. Right. You have mediums who did their who, who practice their craft in their homes, right? And they will have processions and prayer sessions out in public at the void decks and at open spaces. And I as a child will wait for those. Then you have the Chinese funerals as well. And those were a colorful and noisy affair. So as a child, what were you attracted to? Noise and color. So when the <laughs> Dragon Dance Lorry came, when the Lion Dance Lorry came, when the Teochew Clan Association lorries came with their noise banging their drums and cymbals, right? What do you do? You chase after them. Or right. rather, I chased after them. Wow, this is really awesome, man. Like, and then, fast forward many, many years, right, after Melbourne, after I came back from my studies, right? And I thought to myself, what have I not done in this life which I need to do before I regretted it, before I couldn't do it? Lion Dance. Helping out with the Teochew Clan Associations, I made a call, a cold call. This was cold calling, right? Somehow, the, the other person on the line said, okay, just come in and we'll, we'll speak. That was 12 years ago. Right. So right now, I'm actually quite involved, or rather a full member of a particular line dance group, the Yunfong Athletic Association. We are available for bookings, by the way. <laughs> okay, a shameless plug. And I'm also quite involved with the more traditional... Teochew clan associations. So you see, when these Teochew clan associations were formed, they helped out immigrants from China who just came to Singapore gain a foothold, and that where you have that's where you have your mutual benefit society. They call it a friendly association. So you come in from wherever you are, right? Okay, so if you are like a from a, a To clan, right? Your surname is To, so you belong to this clan association, and they help you get a job, get lodging, get get settled into your new environment, right? And from then on, you help other immigrants come in. So that was the background of those Teochew clan associations. So when they had funerals, what did they do? They helped with funeral arrangements. They helped with performances, prayers, and last rites. So some of these last rites involve a drum and cymbal troupe with big head dolls that were entertaining not just the living but also the dead. Yeah, so that's what I'm involved in. And I know it's archaic and it's weird. It's so weird, right? It's but culture. It's culture. I think it's important that someone continues this tradition, even if it's even if I'm not Chinese, I'm not Teochew. I'm clearly by by not by any stretch of the imagination. When you see me, right, you know I am from another race, and I have raised many, many, many eyebrows <laughs> at funerals, saying like, you know, after I get out of my of my costume, and you're like, hey, and, and they say this in in dialect, hey, Lei Huang Kia, which is like, you're Malay, is it? Huang Kia is a slang for Malay. I said, yeah. Muslim, eh? Mm. Like, wow, sweet, eh? You know, you can do this kind of thing, uh, yeah. Why not? This is Singapore, right? Multiracial, all right. <laughs> Diversity, harmony. So that's what I enjoy doing, uh. And I think it plays into the global mud soul kitchen philosophy of no barriers. Uh, I was graciously given entry into a world where I don't belong. So I intend to do my best there. Same for food, right? You are welcome to sit at my table. Let's do this. Unless, of course, you don't follow me on Instagram. Unless you don't follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Twice a week, three times a week, maybe once a week, depends on what my schedule is like because I'm also involved with all these cultural performances. So those 
kind of take precedence and where I can, I try to fit everything in. Right. Making the most out of the day. Very mm. busy work-life balance that you have going on. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm grateful to say that both are very, uh, how do you say this? Fulfilling? Uh, fulfilling in different ways. So one without the other would not work. I need to have both. And if that's the best kind of symbiotic relationship between two vastly different things, isn't it? You need to make the use of your gifts, right? So if I were to stop using the gift of cooking, the gift of being able to serve my fellow man food, right? Then what's the point? What's the point of having anything to offer? You, you need to have something to offer to your fellow man. So that's what keeps me going. And I think with a lot of uh, food in Singapore these days, a lot of soul is gone. Back then, our parents used to say, oh, remember those old markets, those old roadside stalls? They had the best food. And we were like, like, huh, really? Because we were growing up in the time when fast food was booming and, <laughs> and all that, right? We were, wow, McDonald's, excellent. No KFC, excellent. E&W, right. Oh, nobody wants to eat chakwe tiao by the roadside. But as we got older, right, everyone goes older, like, we long for the things that we had as children, which are things from the hawker centres, right? Even the hawker centres these days, credit to the food agencies, they're doing a great job governing cleanliness and all that. And I think that's important. But somehow along the way, when that shift happened, right, when the roadside stalls were gone, a lot of the good food and a lot of the soul and the essence that makes Singapore food great were gone. And that's why Malaysia can gleefully claim that their food is better than ours because they still have that roadside, that kind of edgy, unhinged, element to There's their food. There's something different about something squatting by the roadside or like a, a little small stool and yeah. enjoying and tucking into the food. Yeah, it is a holistic experience. So maybe it's not just about the food. It adds to the flavour. adds to the flavour. <laughs> the experience, right? But your contributions towards the athletic troupe as well as cooking, mm-hmm. I guess that's why you haven't decided to set up a brick and mortar place to do it on a daily basis, your brownie? As silly as this may sound, I think if I were to set up a brick and mortar and sell brownie as a concept where I make X number and you come and you just buy, right? I think the magic is gone. <laughs> I think the magic, you know, the whole coming together. The reason why I make people come to my neighbourhood and collect it and I don't allow third-party couriers to handle the food unless there are extreme extenuating circumstances and you are a previous customer who I've met and have had interaction with. There was this lady that broke her leg. Oh. Had an operation on the day itself and I said like, don't worry about it, I'll sort it out for you. I got someone to deliver it for her. But under most circumstances, I don't allow it. Why? Because I want people to get out of their comfort zones, where they are, where they live. And I'm very, very thankful and grateful that a lot of my customers, I think they come from good, comfortable, middle class, upper middle class backgrounds and I'm happy for them. And I'm grateful that they come and support a small independent project like mine. But at the same time, I want them to leave their gated communities, their condominiums, their landed property, their their comfort zones. Come and come and see where I live, man. And enjoy the flavour of the place, the, the neighbourhood. Place, because the place itself, if I didn't grow up in Algenic Crescent, I don't think I would have the wherewithal or the new or the little nuances to commit to this project or to do it in such a performative way. Mm. I would not. So when you come and you get the food, right, you're just not getting the food. You are enjoying what it is and paying tribute to what made the food what it is. And that's it. I want them to come together to a certain place. If you were to do it in a brick and mortar, right, it's a shop. It has retail hours, mm. right? It's governed by laws and whatnot. And I'm not so keen on that. I like the <laughs> whole fringe nature of the project. Uh. And it is fringe. I mean, what I write about, what I talk about is fringe. Who in their right mind, will want to do something as complicated, time-consuming, and uh, not as cost-effective as biryani. They want to do something cheaper, right? 
But biryani is, I remember it being the food that people got together and ate. So I want that. Even if it's to my fiscal detriment. <laughs> <laughs> You know, even if it hurts my pockets, I don't mind. I'm just going to do it as much as I can for as long as I can. So that's that's what keeps me going. I mean, I want to get back to the time. There is always a magical time in our heads, in our memories, where you want to evoke things from the past, right? I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to regain that sense of magic. Uh, yeah, and I just hope that everyone that comes and eats also has that sense of magic or that, that eureka moment. Like, oh, this, no, this is something special. I can only hope. How many different types of magic do you serve, by the way? Mutton. <laughs> we have chicken. The honey chicken, which is like honey sambal and chicken thighs with rice and there's mutton fat masala and rice and it's all cooked in one pot. So that's a punch to the face, a flavour bomb itself. Then I have a very special vegan variety which does not have ghee, no yogurt. So a lot of people say like, hey, you know what? It's impossible to do a vegan brownie. It's going to taste like it's lacking something. Well, I would like to throw it out here that if there's any biryani of mine that you should try, you should try the vegan one because it is my absolute favourite and the one which every time I make, I will squirrel away some for myself. You know, the rest, I'm not, I don't care too much about it. It's okay. <laughs> but the vegan one is really special. Then there's a the stingray, which is my take on a fish biryani. Eh? With fish, you have bones. The last thing you want when eating like nice rice and spice, right, is to have a bone lodged in your throat. What's the solution here? Stingray. We Singaporeans are big on sambal stingray, right? So why not have like bigger chunks of stingray in the biryani itself? So far, it's worked. It's worked. It's magic. And then more recently, I've come up with uh, varieties of coconut rice. It's coconut rice in two versions. The OG version comes with scrambled brunch-style scrambled eggs. Okay. Oh, but Asian brunch-style scrambled <laughs> eggs, right? And it comes with spiced fried chicken and a sambal that takes about maybe 11 hours to make. <gasps> 11 hours to make. So that sambal is not vegan. It has some animal fat in it and some other goodness in it. And it's reminiscent of an Indo-Chinese style, a Thai from Cambodia. It evokes flavours of Cambodia, Thailand, maybe a bit of Vietnam, a bit of Laos. So it has that brown in a very Southeast Asian kind of way. Okay. Yeah, like uh, it, 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 it tastes distinctly Malay, but it so tastes Malaysian, it so tastes Thai. Well, what is it? So that's one variety. Mm. The most recent variety is one that comes with chicken rendang, Ooh. onsen egg, and a sambal kluak. For all of you who do not know what kluak is, right? Kluak is a uh, pangium or black nut. It's a kind of a toxic fruit. You have to cook it right. If you not, it's going to be toxic, right? Process it right first mm. or else like, it'll kill you. Mm. <laughs> um, so Kloa itself has a very distinct dark chocolatey kind of like a acrid or pungent taste, pungent smell. So in order to tame it, right, you need to know how to work with it. So I've incorporated that into the sambal. Due to the crazy, the most insane reception of that sambal, right, I've been prodded enough to make more of it and bottle it and sell it. Nice. And this is the part where... <gasps> Am I gonna get my hands on this sambal oh. kalua? Oh my gosh. This is black gold. This is for you. It's bottled today. Oh, and it's warm as well. I know. It's got a shelf life of five to seven days out in the open. But once it's uh, open, you have to keep it refrigerated. Okay. But I'm hoping that... I will finish it in one sitting, is it? <laughs> I think the general feeling is that people like, what, five to seven days? If it lasts five, five to seven five, hours, five to seven hours, then you're, we are lucky, right? Five to seven minutes is a stretch, but is five to seven hours, yeah. I think, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's one for you. And I'm sure you have a lovely pantry here, right? <gasps> this is for you to share with your colleagues. I'm not sure I will share it with my colleagues, you know. Okay, I thought you might. I, I thought 
<laughs> you might say that. So are you serious? Here is another one. This good, is a triple. Oh my things gosh! Come in trees. It's a triumvirate of taste. Oh my so gosh! Three this bottles is amazing. of the sambal kluwak, which I've begun to bottle and sell. Shameless plug again. <laughs> uh, and it's yeah. also via your Instagram. Via my right? Instagram. So it's happening right now. It's happening as we speak. More of that will happen in the future. But of course, you're gonna drop this at like you know surprise moments. You only have a certain number of uh, hours in a day to do all the things that you do. So mm-hmm. you're gonna make this by batch or I'm going to make this by batch and it will be dispensed out um, as and when so we have to follow when. the Instagram exactly. very closely so basically what I did with the most recent version of, of the Nasi Lemak right was to use it as a testing ground for just how how acceptable or how viable is will this sambal project be because I've always wanted to offer something that's from my heritage you know? yeah it's like the concept of narcotics Huh? Right. Okay, I was in a rough neighborhood, right? So I understand how this works. Your market is one who will wither and die. So you need a captive audience and you need to regenerate new users. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? But it's illegal to promote or market, right? So what they always do is they'll give you, hey, want to try something? Want to try something? They give it to you for free. This is what you're doing with me and three jars of this, right? So with nasi lemak, it's the same. I'll give you what is enough for you to enjoy the nasi lemak, mm. the, the coconut rice. The first hit is free. The next one will cost you. Right. So if you want it's, additionals. Exactly. Again, that relates to narcotics. The first, you, I'm going to give you something and I know you'll enjoy it. It's the, <laughs> you get the high and you go like, oh, that was amazing. I want to do it again. Uh, can I have some more? Oh, this one is going to cost you X amount of dollars. Right. Then you get hooked and then you go down that path. So with the same concept in mind, this is how I do my sambal. Okay, I know what, it's, it's dodgy. Have you, have you put a price tag onto the sambal yes, yet? Yes, I have. I have to say hello to LT who bugged me enough just before Christmas because she wanted a private bottling. I want a private bottling of 10. I don't care how many you do, but I want just for me 10. I'm like, you know what? I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to do 10. I'm going to do a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to start. So I started on Christmas Eve. So it's $12 for a 250 milliliter bottle. Right now, the labeling is kind of rudimentary because there's only one product. But you're going to venture into doing more products in the future, I'm sure. Of course. So that's you know, 2024. Mm, exciting. Uh, apparently, my rendang is also rated. Uh, I'm not sure. Everything you make is rated. Please. No? I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as to say that. I've, I remember what was that? It was a pineapple. Oh, that the the equivalent of crack. <laughs> Everyone who said it says this, this is crack, and they asked me why do you give in such small amounts? Yes. That okay. was my only complaint. <laughs> do you want to know why it is good? You say it's good, right? But do you want to know why it is good? Why? That pineapple, that, that small portion of pineapple. you want to know why it is good? Mm-hmm. Because I give you a small amount. Do you also want to know why I give you a small amount? Because at some point in time, you're going to start bottling it. <laughs> no, because it is good. I give you a small amount because it this is This is a vicious cycle. <laughs> exactly. And because I know it's good, I give you a small amount. So it, it's an Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its own tail, which relates back to... My logo, which is a serpent eating its own tail, always regenerative, always rebirth, mm. death, destruction, rebirth, death, destruction, rebirth, life. So, yeah. <laughs> I see. So, you've all fallen under the influence. Thank you for your support. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been doing this for about 10 years. Uh-huh. What is that one thing that's troubled you? Why are there only 24 hours in a day? <laughs> I want to do so much more. And as you get along in age, right, you have to conserve your energy for what's important and you need to have some kind of balance with other things as well. I play music as well. Mm. So in 2024, there'll be more, there are gigs for me to play and things for me to record. So that's happening in 2024. Challenge is how can I fit more into a day without burning out, without saying like, oh, you know, to hell with this. I don't want to do it anymore. 
you need to walk that line where mm. you don't become bored with what you do. And I think the, the other challenge is uh, how do I do this before time runs out for me or for anyone else? We have to keep going. We have to keep going. So it's all a matter of time. There's also this how to not get co-opted into the mainstream. I know this is ironic as well because I'm on KISS 92 FM talking to <laughs> radio presenter Shamin Poa and this is going live to all of you, you know, on national radio. But I, I'm very careful about being co-opted by the mainstream to do things that are normal and safe. You always like the challenge. I always like the challenge of just doing on your own terms. So it is a creative thing. I like to think that it is not just a food project. It's art and literature and humour and music all exploding in one big mess, mm. right? And out of that mess, out of that primordial whirlpool of primeval soup... <laughs> comes this and my writing and the music and sambal and brani and, and interaction and community building and all that. So if I was to just do normal safe things or be stuck behind a counter, let's say I had an offer to do, hey, do you want to expand? We have a hawker stall for you somewhere in Canberra. I'm like, do I want to be stuck in a hawker stall in Canberra, stuck behind a counter like saying, yes, sir, thank you, sir. I mean, I do say yes, sir, and thank you, sir. But, you know, like, yes, sir, next, uh, like, hello, next. You know? mm. <laughs> right. I, I don't want to do that. I'm get uh, unhinged, the untamed spirit. Grr. What else are we expecting from you in 2024? More varieties of sambal. The one that has a distinctively pan-Southeast Asian flavour that tastes reminiscent of Indonesia and Singapore and Malaysia and Thailand and maybe Cambodia or Laos, you know, those hot tropical Southeast Asian countries. I have a sambal that is not vegan or vegetarian. No, so sorry. <laughs> Um, but I'm bottling that as well because I believe that is the genesis of how I wanted to make sambal. Like, you know what? This brings back memories of something else, mm. of a time when I wasn't present. The first version of the sambal, right, was inspired by a story I heard of a customer that shared with me how in the 90s, he was hanging out at someone's house in Chinatown, mm -hmm. someone's flat in Chinatown, right? And two o'clock in the morning, right, that person's mum came out like blurry eyes. and said like, hey boy, boy, you go buy nasi lemak. At 2 a.m.? Exactly. This was the early 90s and, you know, 24-hour food was not a thing back then. I think only in the mid-90s where it started to get like supper clubs and all that, right? I, I don't know. Before that, I wasn't allowed out at uh, night. There you go. <laughs> Too young. <laughs> yeah, so 24-hour joints were a, a thing that only started mid-90s or late-90s onwards. So, nasi lemak, 2 o'clock. Chinatown, where? So, his friend brought him to a stairwell in a HDB block, right? Where there was already a line. The door was open. But the gates were locked and there was just, you can see just a pair of hands. Now, this was highly illegal back in the 90s, right? So everybody who was in that line, right, was in cahoots and an accomplice, okay. which is fine. So they knew what they were getting into, they, get, they were getting themselves into and they were okay with it. So what was going on was that there was this thigh, and I'm not sure if I'm using the right term for it, so please don't cancel me. It was a transvestite, a lady boy, a, a, a person who was transitioning. And I think in Thai culture, that's something that's accepted and very normal, right? Mm. So I think she was working in retail or had a retail shop day. And at night, she sold this fantastic coconut rice done her style. Now, I've never had it. I'm listening to this story and I'm intrigued. Like, wow, this was counterculture before counterculture was counterculture. You know, that like, <laughs> this... This lady did not give a damn, just did whatever she wanted to. And the way that he described to me, right, 
that nasi lemak that he had that night was something that he would never ever have again because it was just the sambal was just out of this world it immediately evoked Thailand mm. it immediately evoked Southeast Asia now me I'm hearing this and I'm thinking like how can I be a part of this magic so it's I'm trying to channel the other like taking vibrations from the universe channeling that story into this sambal which I'm making credit to him for sharing and I've shared that with other people shared the sambal and they go like dude this is this is something else man what is this how have I not had a sambal like this before so did you ever give it back to him uh, and let him try the recipe I've not had a chance to because he's moved to Melbourne ah I await the day that he's back here and that's I think that's why I want to make this sambal in, in batches so that it's readily available at most times. So when he comes back, he doesn't have to wait for me to cook the original version of nasi lemak that I did. He can just have it. I'm saying like, thank you. This is my gratitude and I hope that you tasting it again will evoke the same kind of magic. It's always about the magic. Mm, it's always about the magic. Yeah, so I want to bottle that. I want to bottle rendang. So if you're craving for rendang burger, right? Have a burger, slap on the rendang sauce, no, heat it up. Hey, you're, you're, you're good. You don't have to wait for National Day for a particular fast food company to come up with your promotional items to have a rendang burger. You can have it anytime you want. Courtesy of Glowmart Soul Kitchen's rendang sauce, which will be available to you very soon via Instagram in the coming months of 2024. Thank you. So that's why you got to follow him, Global Mud Soul Kitchen on Instagram. Uh, I also want to find out, you know, talking about magic, which stall or, or hawker or cafe or restaurant shares that magic with you? Do you have a food recommendation? Oh, yes, I do. Okay, but before I go into that, a lot of the places which I thought had that kind of magic where you will kiss the hands of whoever cooked your food, right? <laughs> they have closed down. Aww. They have closed down. Um, I don't know how many among you knew or remember about this restaurant along Upper East Coast Road called Mas Ayu. <gasps> yes, I know exactly where there is. You know where it is? You yes. had the food, right? Next to that, that furniture shop. Exactly. The antique shop. Yes. Right? That was amazing. Their lontong goreng was crazy good. Then they had their spiced fried chicken, which was uh, the kind of fried chicken that you have in a Malay home, but it was freshly fried, right? Mm. And then you have your equivalent of your Malay tata. Oh, and they were so good. Sometime in 2018 or 2019, they just closed down. Mm. Apparently, they, they lost their lease. So that's sad. That's gone. They, they never moved anywhere else. They never they? moved. And any attempt to reach out to whoever remembers them or whoever knows where they are, right? Ended in dead end. So if any one of you knows where the cooks or the bosses of Mas Ayu have gone to, please send me a text because we are in desperate need of that kind of magic. Yeah, drop us a WhatsApp, 88550920. So what I do these days, right? I have to wake up really, really early in the morning. No amount of enjoyment or, you know, of joy is worth it if there is no sacrifice to be made. Mm. So I wake up very, very early in the morning. I'm talking about 4.35 just so that I can book a ride and go to this particular place in Brickworks in Alexandra. ABC Brickworks Market. Yes! Okay, what's there at 4.30? 30, they're just starting to set up. By 5.35, 45, 6, right, there will be a full spread at this particular shop called Nusantara. The signage is spelled N-U-S-A, Nusa. Mm-hmm. And an ampersand, which is a N symbol, right? Tara. So if you didn't know any better, you say it's Nusa and Tara. Right. But the word Nusantara itself is N-U-S-A-N-T-E-R-A, right? Means archipelago. Mm. And this lady, she's legit Indonesian, permanent resident right now. She cooks amazing, I won't say nasi padang, but uh, 
nasi campur, which is mixed rice uh, with all the accoutrements and and the gravies and all that. They do a dry lontong, which is uh, rice cakes with whatever you want, your choice of squid sambal or even asam pedas, which was what I had. Rice cakes and asam pedas is not something that's normal to have. <laughs> she didn't bet. I like, hey, whatever you want, no judgment. And this lady is just pure gold, pure gold. I mean, she's put her kids through university just just by many years tall. Well done to her, you know. And we go, we hang out from 6 till about 7.30 to late, just continue eating like okay we've had like a bit of this what's there like order what, next round next something, part you know? two part yeah, three part two part three their dry lontong is amazing something you should also have is their nasi sambal goreng which is um rice with some spicy coconut floss and some sambal and some uh, beancurd tempeh some protein of your choice and a gravy of your choice and you can see there's all, there's usually a line that, that forms quite early on people who are going to work and they've done well and I pray for her well-being and longevity because long may that lineage of food continue because we need that and even though Brickworks is no longer as gritty or grimy as it was right <laughs> I think her stall has managed to keep things going and then across the aisle from where she is, there is a stall that just sells kueh. And this gentleman, we call him Abang Zaid, which is close to my name, right? yes. coincidentally. He makes kueh of all sorts. So it's samosas and curry puffs and fried bananas, going pisang and all that, right? And she makes it in batches. And we will sit and we will order some from there and some from here. Some of the things that he cooks are savoury, that mm. he, he does a savoury kueh. I have a thing for savoury kueh as opposed to sweet ones. So it'll be like a potluck, go at it, hammer and tongs. Uh. I have a very small circle of friends who I do it with mm. credit to them they always game when I say Brickworks let's go before I let you go Zahid mm. uh, how can people keep up with your brownies how do they track how do they place an order and is there a pattern to your madness in terms of like three times a week once a week if I have a drop and I have something else to do in the day, right? I try to get both of them to work. But more often than not, I try to do it twice a week, at the very least. So mm. people have something to look forward to in the middle of the week or on Friday when the weekend starts or on Sunday. You've had the weekend, right? And then the impending existentialist dread of Monday starts to creep up on, creep up on you when the shadows get long in the day, right? You know, like, oh, God, i got to go to work again tomorrow morning. Well, you know what? Here's some food to help make that transition from Sunday to Monday be a less painful one. And you usually push it out as a post or on uh, Insta stories? Both. Mm. Both. Um, as and when, whatever you feel like. As and when. It, I don't think there's a method to my madness. I know when some people are expecting something. Uh, but again, it's uh, I have a very fluid and flexible schedule that is subject to changes all the time. So I try. I will try my best to accommodate everyone and serve everyone. But all things being said, you should try to follow me on Instagram at Global Mud Soul Kitchen. That's one word: Global Mud Soul Kitchen. Set your notifications on. <laughs> Now, I'm sure a lot of them, sometimes I do some rant pieces where I rant about me not being able to get sneakers. Now I understand how people feel when they are not able to get food when, when my drop sold out because I, I try to buy sneakers online and I don't get it. I'm going like, no, why? I know how you feel. Don't worry, I know how you feel. So I rant about that. So set your notifications. Maybe not all of my posts or stories is about food, but I can assure you that you'll be entertained all the same. Mm. Set your notifi notifications. And sooner rather than later, you'll get you'll be able to get your hands on my cooking, on my food, and we can gather in the grim proletarian fortress of Alginate Crescent, where the void deck of interminable darkness and voidness is. That's how I, I brand my, my neighborhood uh, mm. in, in, in the you know in Alginate Crescent, which is 
Alpha Omega Gloria Perpetua. The Alpha, the Omega, and glory forever. Alternate Crescent. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Zai. Thank you, Charmaine, for having me. I hope you've had a great 2023. And I hope and pray that you'll be able to continue this for as long as you want to. With the strength of your Sambal Kaluak, I'm sure I will. We can only hope. <laughs> Onwards. Charmaine Poir, behind the counter at Kiss92's Kiss Cafe. 